You're listening to episode 211, Leadership and Successful Thinking with Corey Jenke. And you started creating connections with your employees and empowering them and entrusting them. And all of a sudden, things are happening that you can't believe. Your sales are growing like crazy. Your employee, um, your employee uh, validation rate went to 97%. It was all out of the book, out of the theories in the book. We started asking managers to try to do these things. And all of a sudden, they're getting results. And it's just incredible because you're starting to do something that seems like it shouldn't be unique, but it is. You're starting to treat your employees like people. This is the dance of life. My name is Tudor Alexander, and we are going to go on a journey to hack your mind, body, and soul for living your best life yet. Tune in every week to learn something new, grow, and get inspired as we discover the secrets of success and practice the art of fulfillment. And if it's one thing I hope you learn from today, it's that your life is a dance. And just like any dance, you can learn to dance it well. What's up, superstars? Welcome to another episode of The Dance of Life. Happy Friday, wherever you happen to be. Hope you're having a great week and an exciting weekend to look forward to. Albert Einstein once said, We cannot solve our problems with the same level of thinking we were at when we created them. What a classic quote. So important. You got to think outside the box, just like Albert. Such a classic quote. You know, it's really about being successful in your thinking, right? At the end of the day, at taking action is important in life. And certainly we live in a hustle and grind culture, but what kind of action you take and how you think about what you do first, that's going to make the difference between working harder and working smarter. And so today we're talking about successful thinking with an expert on the topic. His name is Corey Jenke. He's a community pharmacist for 30 years. Corey made his business about asking questions instead of telling people what to do. As a result, Corey learned that some people are out there just killing it, while others, lots of others, are quietly and desperately getting killed. Corey's life mission is to take what he has learned from those who are crushing their dreams and goals and share their secrets with those who have gotten crushed by life and are desperate for answers. Corey is the author of The Successful Thinker, and he's a master of communication, service, and leadership in the workplace. Today, we're going to dive into his own story, recovering from burnout, as well as what he calls the seven laws of leadership and how you can implement them in your own life and career. If you want to check Corey out on Facebook, he's C-W-J-A-H-N-K-E. That's the name there or on LinkedIn, the same thing, C-W-J-A-H-N-K-E. And I'll put all this stuff on the uh, blog post for this episode. You can also get a copy of his book, The Successful Thinker, a free copy. Just pay for shipping. And I'll put a link for that as well in the blog post for this episode. That's going to be episode number 211. You just go to danceoflife.com slash podcast, and uh, it'll be 211 there as well. Or you can sign up for the regular email list, and you'll get links there that way as well. You know, Today, we are looking at successful thinking, meaning what does it take to make effective decisions, both professionally and personally? And more importantly, how do you avoid burning out? Because when you're making crummy decisions, 
and they aren't working out for you, then that's what leads to burnout. So Corey's going to share his story of burnout, what what led him to that point. I'm sure we can all relate to that. And we're also going to dive into those seven laws of leadership that he has put together based on years and years of experience. And they're just, they're so simple and powerful that I really am excited that he, he got a chance to sit down and share them. So very excited. If you know anybody in your life today that could take advantage of this episode, this information to not only just be a better thinker, be a better leader, a better communicator, but really taking on these principles to help them through burnout. We all suffer burnout to some degree, especially with all the crazy stuff going on lately. And so I think this is very valuable stuff. If anybody, if you're feeling burnout, if anybody else you're feeling burnout, make sure you share this episode with them. See what see what they think. See what changes in their life. Have a conversation. That's the classic way towards transformation. It's just to a simple conversation. That's why these podcasts are so cool. It's learning in a story format, which is just how we evolved, right? We evolved for thousands of years just telling stories. All right, without further ado, let's do a little successful thinking with Corey Jenke. Here we go. I'm pretty good with the flow, so, you know, just we can hit the ground running. <laughs> That's how I like to do it, just kind of play it by ear and just kind of take it wherever it goes. Yeah, nice. So you do leadership coaching. You wrote the book, The Successful Thinker, and is that new? Did you just write that, or was that, has that been around for a little while? Well, you know, what happened was it was, I wrote it about four years ago, and nothing happened with it. Hmm. Uh, the publisher that uh, had it just wasn't interested in it. And well, I mean, well, he was interested in it, but he was, I think he had business problems, but then he ended up selling his book or his company. Uh, and uh, the people that bought it are really psyched about it. They helped me put together a funnel for it. They helped me get the messaging right for it. And uh, I grew up a little bit and realized that if it's to be, it's up to me. And, yeah. and so, I've been having a lot of fun now that I really embraced it again and the podcast that goes with it and all of that stuff. What led you to, to write the book? I mean, you have a background in pharmacy, right? Like you were 30 years pharmacist. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that I have noticed in my career is there's a whole bunch of people out there just killing it. Yeah. And then there's a whole bunch of people out there just getting killed. And one or the, the other, people, for sure. <laughs> yeah, and, and so I wanted to take what the people that were in my company and my customers were sharing with me that was working for them and give it to the people who it isn't working for. And, and I wanted to do it in a story form so that people didn't feel like they were being talked to but felt that they were maybe being shown something that they hadn't seen before. Yeah, I like that. Uh, gosh, that was that illustration, the cartoon you have on your – on the book's website, the yeah. story, the storyboard. That's cool. The little character yeah. running through all the different life dilemmas. And I mean, I think a lot of people can relate to it because burnout is just so common, right? I mean, I think, I don't know what the statistic is, but I'm pretty sure at least 80% of people experience burnout. I'm making this up at some point in their lives. Right. <laughs> well, absolutely. And, and it, and it, it, it's, 
to some degree really dangerous because there's a lot of people that kill themselves, literally suicide, mm-hmm. uh, because they can't face it anymore. And you know, what really shocked me was when you look in the medical profession, how many people are doctors and dentists and things that can't take it because of the bureaucracies that they're involved with, uh, regulators, and uh, you know, most of the clinics now are corporations. Yeah. And uh, so it's important, and it's an important message, and it's important that you can do things about it, and that you don't have to give up on life just because of the situation and circumstances you're in. You and I can help them find new ones and better ways to deal with the ones they're in. Have you, uh, when was the last time you experienced burnout? Let me put it this way. Like when was the point where you hit that rock bottom? You're just like, man, okay. Like something needs to change. Well, this all started about 12 years ago when I literally, I never had anxiety attacks. I never had high blood pressure, never had heart uh, racing or anything. And, and 12 years ago, I'm walking around my house and I don't want to live anymore. I worked, uh, I worked for Walmart and I was, I was filling five or 600 scripts a day. I was working for a Jeez. guy. I was working for a guy that all he cared about was um, bottom line. And he wanted me to fire two people. I was already having everything I could do to get people in and out the door. And uh, so I, I was walking around my house and it was the middle of the night and I hadn't slept in days because I didn't want to fire two people. And I, 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 I was just so totally stressed. And I, I walked into my son's bedroom. He's five years old at the time. And I was, I think I was hit by a life changing flash of insight. And it was really this, you know, do you want this poor five-year-old kid to grow up without a father over some stupid job? Right. And so I sat down and I said, okay, there's got to be a better way. And so I started really looking at what was I doing and what was I afraid of and why was I like this? And I recognized that it's all this fear, right, that, that uncovers what you call the dance of life. Yeah. So it's always this fear. And, and the fear comes down to what if I lose everything? And it was that night I made myself a promise that if I had to sleep in a one-bedroom apartment on the floor – it was better than what the fear was doing to me. And, and it was interesting because I went back to work with a whole new attitude and I started studying and reading. And before long, uh, he got transferred. I got a better boss. Uh, but it's still always a this, right? You know, I just came off of four days last night. I, I would have just wanted to just, <laughs> just let you be all done. have it. <laughs> yeah. And then today we do things to regenerate and to build ourselves back up. And that's what most people forget to do. You know, it's it's interesting because I was just talking about this to to somebody else literally the other day about how they were telling me how they were feeling burned out in the day and how, you know, they're doing, they did stuff in the morning. They have their little mindfulness practice in the morning. They do their mindfulness at night. And I said, you know, one thing that made a big difference in my life is having little mini mindfulness breaks throughout the day because it's just like, you can't really control what happens, you know, from the point you start the day. You can control how you start it, but then the rest of the day, you know, you, who knows? All kinds of stuff is going to happen. So, uh, unless you kind of take those regular breaks throughout the day and have regular ways of, I guess, settling your mind, you know, um, it's very easy to go off the deep end. And I think when we stay in that deep end, that's when we really burn out. Oh, I agree totally, and and that's a wonderful a wonderful thing. I'd be curious to know how you how you go about a mini mindfulness break. You know, uh, I mean, personally, and this is what I teach other people too, is basically just, it's like habit stacking. You know, when you, when you stack a habit, 
with something that you're already doing, it's kind of a way to hack your brain because you don't have to uh, think of a special time to do the, the new habit. So for example, you want to be more mindful than you're eating every day, at least once or twice, three times, whatever. So, you know, before you eat, sit down for two minutes, kind of look at your food, get present, maybe say grace, get in tune with what you're grateful for, uh, you know, and then use that to be your mindfulness break. You know, you're eating slowly, spend two minutes after you're done eating, push your plate away and just sit there and just don't hop onto your phone, don't hop onto the next thing. And if you can do that every meal, then you've just inserted, you know, what, two or three mindfulness breaks uh, in your day. Also, when you go to the bathroom, I go to the you know, bathroom to brush my teeth, you go to the bathroom to use the bathroom, to shower, whatever, all those times you can do, you know, uh, gratitude exercises in the mirror. You can do, you know, mindful brushing of your teeth, being grateful of your teeth, of your body, you know, just these little breaks from thinking. Uh, personally, like my mind is always on the run for some new idea, some new thing, something I'm worrying about, you know, so I find that being able to come back into the body at least a couple times throughout the day is really key for preventing going off the deep end, especially if you're type A. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I agree totally. And, and so one of the things that I kind of have to do every now and then, because, uh, you know, the, the pharmacy business is, is so intense, yeah. um, is just really stop and then put that head back and just, I don't know, five, six, seven breaths through your nose and just try to ask yourself this question, is this really worth getting uptight about? Yeah. So I found that that's, that's very helpful. What do you think has been your hardest emotion to control? Because I think everybody has a default emotion or two that they tend to go to whenever there's stress, whether it's like sadness, anger, depression, whatever, anxiety. What has it been for you and what's, and I guess the two-part question is, or second part is, what have you done to control it or to actively control it? Well, one of the things that, that happens to me is that I struggle when I know it's coming from above, right? It's direction that doesn't make sense for the people in the field. And I literally can feel my colleagues in the field. You know, I work with a with a corporation. And so you can literally feel the other people in all of the other stores. And it's like a collective sadness that I get. Mm. And it almost, you can almost feel the tears coming in your eyes. And then I was fortunate in that I did a podcast interview with a lady uh, on my own podcast, a successful thinker. And she was talking about checking in with your state and asking yourself, state for this emotion or for this event because a lot of times what happens is that you can look over and your water bottle is still full you can recognize that it's three o'clock in the afternoon and you haven't had lunch yet you can actually start to realize that you know what i haven't gone to the bathroom in hours like you said I haven't taken that mini mindfulness break. And and she was talking about it in the context of your interaction with other people, right? How often do a husband and wife get in a fight over something that has nothing to do with the moment that they're in, right? I remember when my wife and I were first together, a lot of our fights had to do with in-law issues. And, uh, you know, because you have all these built-in uh, paradigms over what is expected behavior when it comes to your family. And she has expected behavior when it comes to her family. And so all of a sudden, if you start recognizing the rationality of 
that thought and is this really real or is it just a story I'm telling myself in the moment and then checking your state and then like you said doing that mini mindfulness break it actually happened about two weeks ago I posted it on Facebook you know I looked over my water was totally full I, I hadn't gone to the bathroom in hours and I hadn't eaten and I could feel myself really getting sad and angry almost at the same time and uh, just taking care of those physical needs and then like you say stopping and taking care of those emotional needs and I was ready to take on the next few hours. But I think what happens is that we forget that we're human beings, right? And it's really interesting because I think tiredness, I think old age um, <laughs> sneaks up on us. And all of a sudden, we used to be able to just go and go and go at the ball field forever. And emotional, I find, fatigue is much more draining than physical fatigue. But I think our emotions get drained when we don't take care of our physical self. I also think it's really interesting that we try to outthink our bodies and we try to get our, our logical brain to feel and think the way we think we should when it's really our emotional being and our physical uh, being that drives those emotions that really run the ship. Or as uh, Mark Manson, the, the author, writes about, uh, it's really our emotions that are driving the car and then our, our intellect tries to, to, how do you want to say, justify our behavior, justify what we're thinking. Mm -hmm. So if we can really just, what you said, I liked uh, when you were talking about, even after your meal, if I can just sit for two minutes and recognize I don't have to jump into those same patterns. I don't have to go with this negative feeling. I can actually change it. And now that you mentioned it, I remember going to a seminar a few years back and the guy was talking about, you know, you actually have more control over your emotional state than you think. So if you rated your emotions right now and, and if you said, you know what, I've been having a tough day and I'm at a six. If you ask yourself the question, what would it take to get me to a seven? And I know for me, it's always music, right? So at the pharmacy, when I'm stressing, when I'm upset, a lot of times, like yesterday, I put on the album called The Rocky Story. I always have my phone, I always have my little speaker. Yeah, nice. And all of a sudden, <laughs> the eye of the tiger, right? Dun, 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 dun. You can't not dance when you hear that music. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, you're at a seven. Well, then what would it take for you to be at an eight? And you know what? couple deep breaths, maybe a couple drinks of water. And, and you know what? Now we're starting to be like an eight. And all of a sudden, if you recognize that the way you do that with your own emotions can really make a difference. How about yourself? What have you found that brings you out of a negative state? That's a good question, man. I mean, you know, uh, I can relate that. I, th I think it's all about the tools that you have. You know, I mean, there's obviously mindset tools like mindfulness, you know, gratitude practice has been huge in my life, you know, it still is. And I don't think you're ever done with that. I think every chance you can get to be grateful and to retune in to what you appreciate is just, uh, it's going to save your life because the brain, like you said, is always coming up with, with stuff about the world. You know, it's coming up with why the world's wor not working, why, you know, stuff sucks, why, you know, you're going to hell in a handbasket, you know, so you're already a master at that as far as I'm concerned, you know, we're, we're already a master at that. So you have to train the other part of you that can notice, you know, things to appreciate. So that's been huge. Uh, I take a lot of supplements. I do a lot of health testing. I do a lot of like biohacking. 
um, you know, nutrition. So that, that's been really helpful because sometimes you might be fatigued. You might miss some sleep. You might whatever, you know, and most people it's like, okay, I, I'm tired today. So there goes the day, you know, I'm, I'm done, you know, but it doesn't have to be that way. You know, you, you have tools, you have gratitude, you have mindfulness, you have certain things you can take naturally. You can do breathing exercises. Um, you know, I used to do some uh, fire breath. I haven't done that actually in a while, but fire breath, if you know what that is with the rapid nasal breathing, uh, that one, that one's pretty good for a little quick oxygen high. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, mostly just the gratitude and my nutrition and discipline that, that really tends to give me a pretty good outlook and energy on life pretty consistently. You know, we were talking actually off air, might as well mention it, you know, like I was, I had a crazy day today. I went to the emergency room for, for a, a fluke of an incident and I probably shouldn't have gone, but I went to the emergency room. I didn't really get sleep last night and I'm here on this call with you and uh, you know, and it's fine because I have, you know, buffers in place to help me. I may sound a little tired, but I have buffers in place to help me with, with what the things that I eat, the put things that I put in my body, uh, you know, the mindset stuff, you know, the gratitude, finding things to be grateful for, looking for, for messages from the universe, that kind of thing, you know, and, and that stuff keeps you from when these things happen from derailing totally, you know, cause I think that's where people get burned out is when it's not so much that things happen to you. It's that you let them derail through lack of, like you said, lack of being able to stop and smell the roses, lack of, you know, not listening to music, not, not taking ownership of that number. What's your daily number, right? So, so yeah, that's my long-winded answer. <laughs> oh, I, I, I love it because really at the end of the day, what choice do you have? It's not like you can say that you're here on rehearsal and that, well, you know what, I'll just put today aside and, and tomorrow will be a better day because here's the problem. A lot of people don't get it tomorrow. Yeah, no, that's true. And, you know, as a healthcare professional and as a person, I'm 54 and a half years old and I can give you at least a half a dozen stories of people who were just unexpectedly taken in awful, unbelievable, inexplicable accidents, right? And these are people just like you and me. They woke up tonight thinking about, or woke up this morning, excuse me, thinking about the movie they're going to watch tonight. Yeah, when my son comes home, I'm going to watch this movie, right? Well, what if that never happens? And, and they do that in every area of their life. They sort of put off today, you know, because of all these things they're going to get to. Their relationships, for instance, it's okay to be mad at your wife and have this thing because, you know, uh, we'll just, I want to hold on to this moment because it, it makes me feel better. My ego is talking, right? Well, what if something happened where you didn't get to make it up with her? Or if you didn't get to just get back to normal, what if that happens? Then would you really want the last thing that you did or said today to resonate in her mind as God, that guy was a jack wagon this morning, right? So recognizing, you know, that your life is right now. It's not tonight. It's not the next holiday. It's not you know, your next vacation is right now. And so when you're in your workday, when you are with your family, you've got to recognize, man, this is the show. We're not preparing for the show. This is the show. Yeah. And I think if you really get into that space, then you really make it much more important to do those mini self-checks and mini mindfulness moments than, than ever before. Because the older you get, the more you recognize it isn't anything that you can buy. It's what people would say about you at your funeral or people 
would ask your ghost, like if you would come down in a seance and the people would say to you, you know, what was the most important thing that you left behind? And you would say, hopefully it's the idea that, and whatever that is for you. You know, it's, it's interesting. You, you brought up so many points, man. Um, I mean, when we, gosh, I, I talked to somebody yesterday about work-life balance. And this, this is coming up for me is basically you are constantly stuck between this dance of being present and having to plan ahead, especially in the life we live here. You know, if you live on a farm somewhere, maybe it might be different, but even then too, but especially here in the city, it's just constant grind between, you know, the responsibilities you have to your relationships, to your job, to your, you know, bills, all this kind of stuff. So your mind is always in the future. It's always in the future, whether it's the near future or the far away future, or you're thinking about maybe the past, it's always something to trigger you from not being present, which is what you said. It's like, you know, you got to be, this is the show. It's not, those things haven't happened yet. So what is work-life balance? You know, how do you, how do you get that? How do you, what, what is your opinion about that? How does somebody strike an accord? Because part of it is that part of that planning stuff and, and thinking in the future and being, being there is important to some degree, but that's not where your life is either. So how do you balance the two? I mean, there's no right answer, but. I love the question because here's what I think. I think it isn't really a situation where you have work-life balance. It's a situation where you have presence of the moment. So, so many people will come to my drive-thru at the pharmacy and I'll say, hey, how are you doing today? And they'll say, well, great, now that I'm out of work. So, you've lost (laughs) the last eight hours, right? Well, what if you said, you know what, this is where I am right now. So right now I'm on the podcast with you and that's the only thing that matters. But here's something very interesting. When I'm on the podcast with you, I've already made peace with the idea that my family's going to know tonight that I'm fully present and aware when I'm with them. And when I go back to work tomorrow, my customers are going to know that I'm fully present and aware with them. And just because you're working doesn't mean you can't have fun. So one of the things you would find if you came to my pharmacy is that I'm the least professional pharmacist you've ever seen. Nice. <laughs> I'm, I'm, probably, I'm probably somebody that where people have walked in before and said, am I in the right place? I actually had one lady come up to me and she said, well, I'd like to talk to the pharmacist. And I said, well, that's me. And she said, no, I mean, that guy with the white coat and all of that, you know, because I was wearing a Mickey Mouse what tie. You, what were you wearing? Oh, Mickey I Mouse was at a Mickey Mouse tie and I have a, a lanyard with Disney pins on it and things because I want to be approachable. Yeah. Right. And she goes, she goes, well, you know, those guys with the white coats and stuff. And I looked at her and I said, Hey, those guys are way too serious for me. And then there was this dead stone pause where I thought, Oh, maybe I went too far. Yeah. <laughs> and then she goes, well, great, because I have a lot of questions and she just starts blah, 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 blah. blah. And then Finally. when people realize that you're listening, right, that's all they want. They want you to listen. They don't want you to judge. They don't want you to shoot solutions at them before they're done talking. They want you to listen and be fully present. And if you can do that, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's a family member or a friend or some person you just met. If you can add value to someone else's life, then you're living in the moment. Because what most of us are doing is that we're living in love with a future that hasn't happened yet. Yeah. And we say, you know what, this is going to be great. As soon as I get off of work, then I can. 
And then they get off of work and something happens so that their plans fall through. So let's just say, for argument's sake, that your and my plan is that we're going to meet at the golf course at 5 p.m. So my whole day bends around this, you and I meeting at the golf course at 5 p.m. And you call me at 4.45, and this has happened to me, and you say, dude, I got stuck. I can't get out of this commitment. I'm going to have to pass. Now my whole night is wrecked over this incident or it's raining or whatever. Well, now I've lost a whole day and a whole night over this future that hasn't happened yet. So what if you said, you know what, no matter what happens today, I'm going to make the most of every single moment the most I possibly can and stop wishing you were somewhere else. What if you were right here right now? You know what happens? You start becoming very successful at your job. And then that means you start liking yourself better. And then that means you become a better dad and a better husband and a better friend because when you start realizing that nothing else matters except the moment you're in, you start doing the things that you know feel right in the moment. You start being energized. I think most of the time our self-care sucks because our energy has been sucked out of us. Study after study has shown that the reason we have no willpower in the evening is because we're burnt out from the day, right? Mm -hmm. So if you let the day be something that energizes you and you walk out of work feeling, you know what? Say what you want, but I gave it all. I, I gave it my best shot. You're not drained. You're fired up. I remember the old Zig Ziglar story. Do you ever hear of Zig Ziglar, the motivational speaker? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's good. Yes. He's got a lot of good stuff. So he, he says, you know, I come home from work and I'm all, honey, I'm just tired and I don't want to clean the garage and I don't have any energy to do anything. And then all of a sudden his buddy calls and says, hey, Zig, grab the clubs. I got a tea time at 530. All <laughs> of a sudden I'm fresh. I don't even need a shower. I'm ready to go. So if you recognize that you really are, an endless source of energy, if you tell yourself that you are, then you are. I mean, so much of what goes through your brain is a story. Look at you. You said it before. You didn't sleep last night, and I'm sorry about that, but you have the energy to make it here, and you have the energy to do whatever it is that you want to do. Now, granted, if it was eight, nine, ten days in a row, we want to do something medically for you, but yeah. you know, we all go through periods where we're drained. But that doesn't mean our life has to stop. And when you do take those rest breaks, take a rest break. Don't be guilty about it. Don't feel like you're cheating somebody out of something. When you're in the moment with your rest breaks, when you're in the moment with your mindfulness moments, you're living your life. But when you're wishing you were somewhere else, you're missing it. You're just absolutely missing it. I love it, man. That's, that's the timeless lesson of the ages. Just be present every step of the way. That's pretty much all you need to do, and the rest is taken care of, right? <laughs> well, I mean, all you really have is right now. Yeah, it's true. And if that's you let it get is. away from you, you missed it. <laughs> it's crazy. I grew, up, I grew up on that song, The Cat's in the Cradle, you know, then the silver spoon, the little yeah, boy. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I grew up with that song, but did we really listen to it? Essentially, what did the guy say? I grew up and I missed it. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of people uh, come to me at the pharmacy, and, and that's why they make really great grandparents. They say, you know, when my kids are growing up, I missed it. And now that I have this chance with these grandkids, I'm really not going to miss it again. So I adopted my son or my wife and I adopted my son when I was 36 years old. And I had heard that most of my life.
So when him and I have a day off together, I make an event of it. And, and a lot of times it's, and I just joked about this on Facebook, it's watching a movie that he's going to think is funny because he's 18, and I thought it was funny when I was 18, and I know it's going to make me think, God, what was I thinking when I was 18? <laughs> but it's not about the movie. It's about that time with him and I. Yeah. Uh, just, just tonight, he suggested that we have meatloaf for supper. And so I said, okay, here's my debit card. Go get the stuff, and, and we'll, we'll make a thing of making it together. Do I care if I eat meatloaf or if I eat a shake for dinner? No. But do I care if I'm fully alive and present with him? Absolutely. And why will I be that way? Because I already did the things that I wanted to do for myself today. So part of work-life balance is keeping those promises to yourself. I think one of the things we are really, really good at but really bad at as human beings is making and breaking promises to ourselves. Oh, yeah. You're going to bed tonight. You say, man, I'm going to get up and I'm going to put those work, workout shoes on and I'm going to rip it up <laughs> in the gym. You get up in the morning. Yeah, right. Oh. <laughs> but the more we can keep promises to ourselves, the, the happier we can be. But the other side of that with my son is that I never make a promise to him that I don't plan on keeping. So he'll say, Dad, can we do this movie on Saturday? Can we go uh, to the theater? And I'll say, I can't promise that right now because whatever the situation is that makes it so I can't promise it. But as soon as I can promise it, then I will. And he's grown up knowing that when Dad says yes, Dad means yes. When Dad says no, Dad means no. And you can't feel guilty about that because part of what happens to parents is they, they, they cheat themselves out of what I call the realities of the responsibility, right? So you feel bad that you got to work, but do you feel bad that your kid's got a place to sleep tonight? Do you feel bad that your kid's got a roof over his head and a potential future? If you do, you're missing it, right? You're not going to work because you're trying to avoid your family, although there were some pretty funny memes about that when the COVID <laughs> thing hit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but you're going to work for, for building value and teaching your family what matters in life. And, and don't ever cheat yourself out of the realities of why you do what you do. How do you connect to, to that purpose? Because I think you brought up something very important, which is that discipline, uh, discipline is really there for you to enjoy a particular freedom in life. That's what I believe. I think the discipline is ultimately not there to control anything. It's there to help you create something that you really want. And on the road to getting what you want, there's a lot of failure. There's a lot of challenge. And so we kind of get lost in the who, what, where, when, how, and we forget the why. And so my question to you is, because I think why also helps you get out of burnout, you know, kind of sticking with our, with our theme here, which is basically when you forget why you're doing what you're doing, it's very easy to get caught up in the details and the changes and, you know, all the stuff that's happening and, and see it as a meaningless, kind of like that story from Zig Ziglar with the guy that came home and then suddenly, you know, he had a, his friend call him up and he was excited to go, you know, so having that sense of purpose, having that vision, having that sense of why you do what you do is so important to accessing that uh, source of energy. So, how do you do it? What are, what are some things that you do and 
what's been effective? Well, I appreciate that question because I think at the end of the day, that's really, really important. So when I first got out of pharmacy school, I recognized that I didn't want to be someone who was going to just stand there and say, take with food, take with milk. I thought that was going to be really boring. So I just started asking people questions. Guy would come in and I'd say, dude, what did you do to your arm? And he'd be like, oh, man, I, I you know, and, and he would tell me. And then I started realizing that we could go deeper and deeper and I could ask better and better questions. And so I would ask the successful people, what is it that you're doing? Because you seem successful and happy. And, and they, they got me to read, read actual books. And, and the one guy had me read The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. And it says this, it says, begin with the end in mind. Actually ask yourself, at the end of my life, what would have to be true for my life to have made a difference? And the other one I read was Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And Napoleon Hill started talking about this definiteness of purpose that you mentioned. So I created a purpose formula for myself. So I, I decided that purpose stands for prioritizing, understanding, recognizing, positioning, organizing, strategizing, and eliminating. So I actually, uh, we have a cool thing in, in this world called 99designs, and I submitted to 99designs my idea, and I had people make me a logo for this. And so cool. it's a pie, and it's really cool because prioritizing means exactly what you just said. What is really important to me? Understanding says, why am I not there already? Recognizing says, you know, what are the realities of my life that I need to get past to get where I want to go. Positioning is putting yourself right there, right? So if you want to lose 30 pounds, what does your kitchen look like? What does the cupboard look like? Are there Oreos in there or are there apples in the refrigerator? That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Organizing says, okay, what kind of an environment do I work in? Are my thoughts organized and are my relationships organized? And then re uh, strategizing means, okay, so these are the realities. What are the possible choices that you have available to you, I would say? And of those possible choices, what is it that you feel that you could try right now today that would get you moving in that direction? And then E is eliminating. And eliminating is, is huge. They all wrap around eliminating. First of all, eliminating the distractions. What's keeping you from that? eliminating the negative thinking and the negative people that pull you out of there and eliminating the thought that you can't. And you do all of that by visualization. You sit down and you actually take the time to really picture and put together that grand vision and keeping that vision in front of you, as you well know, is the hardest part of all of it, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so, so some people do it with actual vision boards. My wife, you should see it, man. She, right across um, on the opposite side of her sink in her bathroom is this huge vision board with all the pictures of the places she wants to go and the things she wants to do and the person she wants to become because – you know, a woman spends a lot of time in the bathroom in the morning and she's seeing that reflected back to her in the mirror. Yeah. And it's writing it out on a weekly basis. What are the following things that are true about my life when I feel really good about it? And what am I doing to work towards those things? And I think a lot of it is I have a lot of conversations with myself about perspective. I think as a human being, super easy to feel sorry for yourself, oh, right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, I've got all these things going on. And, and then if you really stop and think about what does it really mean to have it tough? 
And I, I don't think most people have the slightest idea. You know, um, I like what Michael Jackson said. I'm starting with the man in the mirror. If I think I got a tough, what about some poor homeless person in Atlanta who's sitting in the bus station wishing they had a place to live, right? So then all of a sudden that gratitude that you mentioned, and I don't know about you, but when I start thinking in terms of, of how good I have it, it just lights me right up because then that's a gateway to how good I can have it. And what's funny for me is that how good I can have it has nothing to do with anything I own. How good I have it has to do with how you and I can connect as individuals and how I can do things. I'm so powerful as a human being to help other people live better lives. And, and that just lights me up in the potential there. And, and that's why you do your podcast is you want people to see that there's a better way to live, right? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, I think, uh, I think that's, becoming more and more needed and wanted, you know, in the, in the world we're living in. I think people are going to crave and crave and they're waking up and they want something different for their life. They don't want to live in the momentum of their choices and they want something, something better, something new, you know? So I think everything is, is well right now, especially with 2020 being crazy the way it is, but really everything is changing. I mean, you look at even healthcare, People are waking up about their health and not being this, you know, passive patient. They're taking their health full on. People are working from home more. They're, they're traveling more. They're being more self-employed. There's many more ways to make money than there were before. Uh, Technology is changing. It's allowing for different kinds of jobs and incomes, you know. So everybody is moving in the direction of taking more responsibility to get more out of life. And I think that as you do that, you start to crave sources that can inspire you and to help you. And yeah, that's been my goal all along is really, if you get one thing out of a conversation, then you've won, you know, it's free. I mean, you're not paying anything to listen to the podcast. So (laughs) free knowledge, you know, why not? That's, that's always good. You, uh, in your video, you brought up some stuff about this this system you created, which I really like. I want to, I want you to talk about it, which is the seven laws of leadership. Uh, now, is that something that you are orchestrated or was it something you were inspired by from somewhere else? Well, you know, as a pharmacist for a major corporation, what I was seeing was a lot of managers and a lot of pharmacists really struggling with their lives. And it ultimately came down to the way they interacted and worked with other people. And so what I started doing it was therapy for me was I started writing blogs. Okay, I watched this situation happen and I'd always be making up names and things so that the people directly involved would not be, you know, treated unfairly or, or, or even take offense by it. Yeah. And I started writing these blogs. This happened and this is what I thought should have happened or what, the way they could have fixed this. And uh, I, I'm a certified go-giver coach, which is, means that uh, Bob Berg, the co-author of the book, The Go-Giver, had written uh, a coaching program. And, and Bob and, and I had become really good friends. And he said, you know, you really need to take these blogs and turn them into a book. Mm. And so what we did is we did a bunch of research then on SurveyMonkey, asking people a lot of really important questions like, what is it that gives you the most pride at work? And, and what gives you the most fulfillment in your job? And I thought they would say money and vacation time and all of this. And they said, um, the women especially said that the ability to make a meaningful contribution 
mattered. And I, that really confused me. So I went to work and I had about seven, eight women that worked for me. And I gathered them all in a big circle. And I said, this is what happened. Can you guys give me a hint as to why that might be? And without missing a beat, this, this woman named Missy Sikori, it's the only thing that makes it worth the guilt of leaving your kids at home if you're actually doing something worthwhile. So out of that, the law of the contribution was written. Wow. And what happened was that I began to realize as I'm writing this book that most people are stuck in life because they're trying to do it all by themselves, right? I'm the leader, so I got to carry this huge ass burden on my shoulders everywhere I go. And I just feel like there's a 50,000 pound weight on my back, right? Well, when you realize that you have gifts and you have strengths and other people around you have gifts and strengths and you start doing what you're really good at and you start helping them learn how to do what they're really good at and make that meaningful contribution. What happens is both of you are lighter, right? And the second law then was about the law of the story, which essentially what we've been talking about is your life is only as good as the story you tell yourself about it. And if you want a better life, you got to tell yourself a better story. And so what we started recognizing was when you start putting the situations that you've seen in your life and that you've learned about in your life and you start writing the story of your life, which essentially the successful thinker is a story of my life, you start realizing that it resonates with people. Even if they're not a, a pharmacist or a healthcare professional, everybody's had a boss who said this at their evaluation. They say this, and I just couldn't get over that. A real-life guy said this to me. He said, well, Corey, you can't rate your people too high. Otherwise, they'll think they have no room for improvement. Wow. Right? And, and, and you and I are, are looking at each other right now. The look on your face was brilliant because what you know that he didn't know was that if you rate people too low, they're going to say, you know what? No matter what I do, this guy's not happy, so I might as well not try at all. But if you rate people fairly or even optimistically, they're going to say, wow, this guy appreciates everything that I do, so I'm really going to show him what I can do. And when they start showing you what they can do, they're also showing themselves what they can do, and their performance ratchets, ratchets up. And you know what it does? It makes your life an awful lot easier and, of course, a lot more fulfilling. So that was the law of the appreciation. So every single one of the seven laws was developed in that way. What is actually going on in the real world with real life people and what do they really think? Because I got to tell you, I didn't want to be another one of those people who uh, lives in the world of academia that makes all these interesting theories that don't work in the real world. Because when you work for a company, that's what it feels like, right? The leadership people drop down all these philosophies like if you uh, rate people too high, then they don't have room for improvement. And it feels like BS, right? And as soon as it feels like BS, it might as well be because of that law of the story, right? You're working for morons. They don't know how you feel, and they don't care how you feel. All they care about is the bottom line. When then we recognize that the employee's number one thing that they need is for you to care about them. One of the myths that I kept hearing in corporate America is you can't care about your employees or you'll lose control. Mm, wow which is funny because you don't have control. That's control crazy. is an illusion, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you don't have to worry about having authority because as soon as something goes wrong, everybody knows who's in charge. 
and you started creating connections with your employees and empowering them and trusting them. And all of a sudden, things are happening that you can't believe. Your sales are growing like crazy. Your employee, uh, your employee uh, validation rate went to 97%. It was all out of the book, out of the theories in the book. We started asking managers to try to do these things. And all of a sudden, they're getting results. And it's just incredible because you're starting to do something that seems like it shouldn't be unique, but it is. You're starting to treat your employees like people. And you're starting to recognize that, you know what? At the end of the day, without the janitor, your Walmart looks gross, right? Who's the most important person in this world to me? It isn't Tiger Woods or some professional athlete. The most important guy at the end of the day to me is the guy who can pop my septic if it backs up. The guy who can fix my furnace when the heat goes out and it's minus 30, right? So you start recognizing that we've made this false narrative of who's important in our country. And guess what? Everybody's important. Everybody matters. Because at the end of the day, we're all trying to fulfill the needs of a customer in some way. And when we all work together, it makes it so much easier and lighter and more fulfilling. And then all of a sudden, when you recognize, you know what? I don't have to do this all by myself. I'm part of an amazing team. And I, I, I recognized before I wrote The Successful Thinker that actually it's not that they work for me. It's that I work for them. It's that if I give them what they need to do their job better and more enthusiastically and feel good about themselves as they're doing it, then what happens is that I win too. And the customer wins. And when the customers win, we all win. And that's what was great about America at one time. We were all working together to make the automobile. And then it became about advertising and money and who's got the most toys. And all of a sudden it became a, a situation where if you've got more toys than I've got, you win and I lose. And guess what our generation has, has figured out is, that, oh, wow, there's nothing there. And that's what leads to the burnout because all of a sudden you recognize I cut somebody's throat, figuratively speaking, and the rewards weren't what I thought they were. And I guess I would just add to that one of the things that burns people out is this constant feeling of perpetual dissatisfaction that comes from trying to buy your happiness, trying to buy your family's joy, and recognizing, you know what, it's empty. It's nothing. Mm -hmm. It's meaningless unless we're present. I mean, you could have all the money in the world. It doesn't matter if you're not there to enjoy it, right? Right. And, and we forgot what we wanted the money for because I love those studies that say basically in American culture, incomes above $70,000 or $75,000 uh, don't improve the happiness scores. And what's really interesting is if you look at those like global happiness scores, uh, the happiest people are genuinely, generally, um, like in African countries that are, are the poorest people, as a rule. Like the United States doesn't show up with something like 37. Yeah, we're like one of the last ones. I think us in Japan are like the highest in burnout rates. Yeah, and so that tells you that we're, we're, running, we're voluntarily running on a hamster wheel and not having the slightest idea where we're going. I like that. Voluntarily running on a hamster wheel. That's great. I love that one. I mean, you really, you make a great point. And I think 
all of us have experienced, no matter what background you have, have experienced the difference between leadership and management. You know, it's one thing to be managed or to manage other people. And it's another thing to really lead. You know, I think leading is, is not something that comes naturally. It's not something that you're trained on. I mean, you can get training, but ultimately you have to practice it in real life and you have to make mistakes and you have to be vulnerable and you have to um, sometimes let go of the results and focus on the relationship, you know, cause that's the ultimate thing. That's, that's the ultimate currency is the relationship. I think with managing, like you said, we've gotten so caught up with marketing and results and, you know, all these external things that uh, the relationship, the core relationship with people, both the employees and the customers. Uh, I mean, it's just kind of disappeared, especially recently, I think with all these companies popping up online, I'll tell you one of my biggest peeves, because I'm super like when I, you know, when I interact with somebody, if they're emailing me or whatever else, you know, the biggest thing is building trust. You got to build trust and how you build trust. Well, being prompt, keeping your promises, you know, being articulate, being accurate, being clean, at least in my book, you know, because all those things, at least on a superficial level, they allow somebody that doesn't know you to just relax a little bit, you know? So when I interact with these companies online, because now everything's online, everything is, you know, outsourced through platforms. So they don't need physical buildings with a bunch of employees. So now this new age of business is very much uh, a very lean business model. You know, they have very few employees and you can tell when there's leadership behind the business and when there's not, you know, what, you interact with their customer service and they hate their job. And so they hate you and they don't want to help you, you know, <laughs> you know, it's just, you immediately realize, okay, this culture of this company has no, has no leadership. So I think it's, I think it's super important, super important to lead from the heart, to be vulnerable, to be compassionate, to be understanding, but all those things are very counterintuitive, right? And, and one of the myths that happen is that there's such a thing as a born leader. Yeah. And, and really there isn't. I, I think that there is a, maybe a genetic predisposition for emotional intelligence. I mean, some people are almost sociopathic and they're in leadership positions and that's dangerous. But you can actually develop every skill that leaders have and need by reading books, by practicing, by, like you said, even thinking it through, right? But one of the things that we want to recognize as companies is that our employees are our most important customers. One of the things that astounds me and always has astounded me is why is it that management thinks that they can treat employees worse than they expect employees to treat customers? Mm, That's a good one. And so if you stop and you recognize that one of the things that I used to do is when I was working for these big companies, I would go to their break room if I got a break and I would sit there and I would a lot of times just read my book, but you could hear the conversations going on. So one time that really stuck in my mind is the service desk person was at the service desk and she had told the customer that they couldn't refund the light bulb that had burnt out because... It was against company policy. And, you know, it seems illogical that a customer would turn a burnt out light bulb, but they were. And so she told the customer, the customer got nasty, made her call a manager, and the manager overrode the employee. See, so the employee comes to the break room, and she's telling everyone about how this guy treated her in front of the customer and so forth. So 
now what have you done for 89 cents? Uh, and maybe you lost one customer, but now you've lost your whole staff. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, like you said, they need to know that you have their back. And, and the even cust- more customers too, sorry to cut you off, but even more customers, because if your staff is, you know, depressed and, and cynical, now they're going to treat even more customers terribly. So sorry to cut you off, but I was like, wow, yeah, that's a huge impact. I mean, no, it's, it's important. And I'm glad you mentioned that because at the end of the day, customers don't trust wishy-washy managers as well. Yeah. It's a kind of a funny thing. If you talk about somebody behind their back, then other people wonder, well, what does he say about me behind my back? And customers notice if this is how you treat your employees, how are you going to treat me when it's really important? Mm. And a customer is anyone, and this is one of my core beliefs, is the customer is anyone who have, you have the opportunity to add value to. So your customer is just as easily the girl who pours your Starbucks coffee this morning as it is somebody that works for you. Because when you walk around thinking about how you can add value to other people and how you can serve other people, it becomes the energy that you carry. And so your employees pick up on that and then your customers pick up on that and it becomes exponential. So when you're friendly and happy and outgoing and nice to people everywhere, because one of the misnomers that people have is that you can be one person at work and another person at home, one person out in public and another person in private. It's all about the energy that you carry. And, and customers are way more savvy than you think they are. Customers pick up on who they can trust and who they can. And I learned this in a very interesting way. I used to work with a pharmacist that would lie to people, especially when he didn't want to confront them. So a guy comes in one day and he's got a bottle of Xanax that's empty and it was just filled for a hundred at a different pharmacy five days ago. And he said, the guy that was here yesterday said that you would refill this for me because I spilled them in the bottom of my fishing boat and I need to get more. He said that you were out of them yesterday and you would refill them for me today. And I walked over and I looked at the shelf and there's like 1,500 of them on the shelf and they hadn't come in today. So they were there yesterday, right? So I walked back over to the guy and I said, no. He said, what do you mean? No. I said, you just got a hundred of these five days ago. You know, it's against controlled substance laws for me to give you another hundred. Well, the guy that was here yesterday said, I said, no. Right. And you would think, and I was young and I was fired up and I wasn't about to give in to a weird situation like this. I didn't know the guy. I didn't know anything about it. Well, interestingly enough, the guy was from out of town. He ended up moving to my town. And whenever he came to, to do business at my pharmacy, he would always ask for me hmm. and not the guy that he knew lied to him. And I began to recognize that customers want to do business with people they respect. And when you look at life from that paradigm, your employees want to do business with people they respect. They want to work with people they respect. Your family wants you to be respectable. And one of the things that you have to do if you want to be respectable is you have to make your own definitions of what's respectable. 
And you can be kind, you can be nice, but you have to have your lines as to what values and principles you stand for. And one of my favorite principles is that I will never treat an employee worse than I expect them to treat a customer, right? And that goes hand in hand with a lot of principles that you probably have yourself. What are some I mean, of your core treat, values? Treat others as you want to be treated, right? That's pretty much the golden rule, almost. I mean, it's, in, it's about business and customers, but it's the same thing, I think. Why um, does that get complicated? Yeah, as far as my principles about what I, how yeah, I what do you go, what do you see when treating other people? That's a great question, man. Um, I mean, integrity is important in the sense of like keeping your promises, you know, and being consistent. I think that's really important. Uh, I try to be as consistent as possible, you know, in anything. Like if somebody sends me a message, I try to respond as soon as I can. I don't like to leave people hanging. I like to be on time, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's to me is just basic stuff. Um, and I also believe in open communication, like being as open as, as you can be. And, and I have a very interesting perspective on coaching and, and, you know, clientels and things like that. Ultimately in my book, you know, I'm successful as a coach, as a person who's adding value, right. To somebody else's life when they are in a position where they don't need me. So one of the biggest things that I'm driven by is freedom. So if I can help somebody be as free as they can, uh, then I feel I've been a success in the sense that I don't think, you know, if you need me all the time, then I'm not doing a good job of really adding value to your life and training you to be your own leader. You know, I think a leader empowers other leaders uh, in their positions. That's a true leadership in my book. So, you know, if somebody's dependent on you, um, obviously that's, there's something missing there. And, you know, it depends on what kind of service you offer. If you're doing massages, then, you know, obviously the people come to see you regularly, but, but, you know, I'm talking about, for example, coaching or self-improvement or this kind of stuff, you know, ultimately my goal is to really help people help themselves. So, uh, from a business model perspective, you know, I, I always tell people that I'm working with, it's like, there's a lot of sexy answers out there you know, that people will give you so they can sell something. Uh, and there's the unsexy answers, which is like practice. <laughs> you know? Like why, you know, how do I get this? How do I lose weight? Or how do I, you know, remove my stress from my life? Or how do I become more mindful? Well, you can learn all the hacks in the world, but at the end of the day, it has to come down to doing it over and over again. And that's a really unsexy answer because that's, you know, that's how life works. It doesn't happen overnight. You know, and so there's no, there's nothing you can sell from that perspective. If I say, Hey, you know, it's just going to take practice. I'm not lying to you. It takes practice, but I also can't sell you anything. So, you know, I, I, I opt to be honest and forego selling over just really contributing. And, and if somebody wants to buy something, that's great. But ultimately it's about empowering people. And so that's a very different business model, I think, than a lot of places where, there's always like that one thing, you know, oh, you know, like on Facebook, you know, five minutes to get those flat abs or, you know, say these three things and you get the person that you love the most to be in bed with you or whatever, you know, it's like we have this one track mind of do this and then you get the outcome like this. And sure, you know, you can take action and get an outcome, but the outcome that you want is always a product of several actions. So the unsexy answer is, it's not just one thing, you know, it's practice. It's doing a lot of different things. It's, you know, it's a whole complex system that you have to learn. So 
I try to be honest and I try to keep my promises. I think those are the two things that I, I try to do most with people when I'm working with them. So thanks for asking. Thanks for asking that. (laughs) Well, I really loved your answer because at the end of the day, what it tells me is that you've thought through who you want to be and what you want your life to look like. And most people Napoleon Hill said as much as 98% of the population hasn't actually sat down and said, you know what, what is important? If I was, I, I, I like to think of it this way. If I, if, if you went to the doctor today and the doctor said, you know what, you got six months to live and you know what, at the end of six months, that's it. You know, would you change the way you're living or would you embrace the way you're living more? Mm. that's a good one most people haven't thought i mean because they're so busy just Mm. trying to keep up with life that they haven't stopped and said you know what what matters who do i want to be at the end of the day when you're telling your customers you know what i don't have the sexy answer that tells me that you go home from a coaching session Mm. and you feel good about who you are the snake oil salesman doesn't feel good about who they are. And ultimately their reputations get out. And at the end of the day, maybe they get a lot of money or at least initially, but what's it worth when you can't even, you know, look at yourself in the mirror or the people around you and feel good about what you do. Yeah. I think reputation's a big one, man. I think that's more important in the going in the forward in the future. I think the economy and everything that's, happening is really shifting towards a reputation economy. You know I, mean? I think that's why you're seeing so many people on the, you know, rating sites and things. Yeah. I think that's going to be much more important than all these Facebook and Instagram and likes, you know, this is an old system that's based on these primitive algorithms and everybody's just trying to game the system and it's not working because now you can see people want something more authentic. They, they want something more authentic. They got burned in this first wave of internet marketing. And now, you know, they, they're looking, they're doing their research, they're, they're reading reviews, they're trying to get an idea of your character, you know, especially if you're in the service business, you know, doing coaching or any kind of service, really, whether it's massage or, you know, Reiki or, you know, whatever. I mean, any kind of service, I think people are going to look at your reputation and your character much more so than, your stats, you know, and reputation. I mean, what's your opinion of reputation? Well, how do you define reputation? How do you create reputation? How do you lose reputation? <laughs> well, I think a big thing with reputation is you have to ask yourself, what kind of reputation do I want with myself? Mm, that's a good and, one. And how do I want to feel about my job? So as a pharmacist, one of the things that's very interesting is that you will see a lot of pharmacists who will sell people something just to sell them something. Yeah. And I, I just can't do that. If you come to me and I don't have an answer for you, I will tell you I don't have an answer for you. I will tell you that this is not the thing to buy. You saw a lot of times people will come to me with this $25, $26 vitamin pill uh, that's supposed to help you lose weight in 20 days, right? Right, right? And my answer has always been, if you want to lose weight, put down your fork, pick up your shoes. Yeah, there you go. And, and so what happens is that, yeah, I, maybe I lost that $25 sale today, uh, 
And uh, I actually had one store manager pull my pharmacy manager boss aside and complain because he heard me tell a customer not to buy something. Mm -hmm. This is about 25 years ago. And my store manager uh, just was really upset. But the pharmacy manager looked at him and said, I'll tell you what, you watch this kid for, for six weeks and see how many people come to him because they know that when he says it, it's a fact. They know that he's got their best interest in mind. And, and um, that's the way I've always done business because my father told me something when I first got out of college. He said, listen, you don't have to tell people how great you are. All you have to do is be great and they'll come tell you. And when you stop and realize that customers vote with their feet, they don't come in and complain and then leave. The customer that comes and complains to you about something is doing you a favor. Most people who don't believe in you, who don't trust you, they just leave. And that works with physical customers, it works with employees, and it works with your family. How many people have checked out of your life because you don't have the integrity that you say that you have? How many people don't like themselves because of short-term gain decisions that they made at the expense of someone else? So I believe if you want to have a great reputation, what you recognize is that it's okay to make money in the service of other people, but it's not okay to make money at the expense of other people. That's great, man. So many good distinctions. This is a gold mine. Well, thank you. I, I, I love talking this stuff because at the end of the day, what you are offering people is a way out of the life that they're stuck in. And I would do anything I could to help you find one or two or three more people that, you know, understand that you can help them get unstuck. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's, that's what makes it all worth it. Right. When you, when you connect with somebody and you see the light bulb go off in their eyes about something that you dealt with and that you, you know, overcame or had a breakthrough on and they share it uh, and they'd find it in their own way. That makes it all worth it. I think one of the other things, too, with reputation is kind of what we talked about before. I'm not worried about a global reputation right now. I'm only worried about how can I add value to you. Yeah. So if you're a customer in my store, if you're my son, if you're the person that's waiting on me at the restaurant, all I'm concerned about is how can I add value to you? And ultimately, that book I mentioned before, The Go-Giver, really showed me that if that is your way of approaching life, the rewards will come. But it's unique because you can't do it for an expectation of the rewards. You just have to do it because it's in line with who you are and what you value as a person and that you recognize that your reputation takes a lifetime to build and can be lost in an instant. And then the rewards happen. So if you, if you just approach life with this abundance mentality that, you know what, if I'm the person who I really choose that I want to be, things will work out for me. And if I'm not, things won't. Specific rewards and trying to bait people for, with incentives and things is a way to grain a one-way ticket to Loserville. I love it. So good, man. Anything coming up for you that's exciting that you're working on any new projects or pretty much is wrapped up with the book? Well, what I'm doing is, is I'm actually turning the book into 
uh, what do you want to call a platform for helping people get unstuck? So mm-hmm. really focusing a lot on how to turn mindfulness into confidence, how to really take those mini mindfulness moments and help people go you know, from mindfulness to consciousness to awareness to confidence so that they can live the life knowing that it's okay to be who they are. So I love what you said about technology because now in 2020, while there are a lot of negatives, a lot of the positives are that guys like you and me can have our own broadcasting stations. We can put our own online courses. We just have to focus and and really recognize on who we're talking to and how we want to do it. So working on courses all the time, working on building my own podcast because I want to go ahead and really reach out to people and say, you know what? Life can be wonderful. And I, I think that it's a best time to live than ever before. I think that one of the things that we have to do is recognize that, you know, we can't let the media get us down. We can't let the election year get us down. There's so many things to be happy about and grateful for and, and really just be good examples to people of how to live in a space of abundance and, and that there's enough to go around for all of us. Absolutely. 100%, man. Right there with you. What's your, what is one thing you're most grateful for right now? Final well, the op- I, I know this is going to sound like I'm sucking up to you, but the opportunity to visit with you, uh, the opportunity to have a one-on-one conversation with, with a, a human being and to be alive and fully present and to show other human beings that, you know what, there's a lot of really cool stuff going on out there. And there's a lot of really cool information going on there, out there. I'm happy and grateful to have a job. I'm happy and grateful to have a family who cares about me. I have two dogs that I just love. I mean, what else is there? Yeah. That's it right there, man. Simple, simple pleasures of life. I, I really think so. And, you know, I learned that, that by watching some customers of mine who didn't really have more than two dimes to rub together. But, man, every time they came in, somehow or another, they found out a way to light up your day. Yeah. And I'll tell you, you know, I've had a number of conversations with physicians that would call in. And it was like, man, if I had a choice between having a cup of coffee with the guy that doesn't have two dimes to rub together and this guy I just got off the phone with, I'd choose the guy with the two dimes. All right, all right. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode, guys, with my friend Corey Jenke. Now, make sure you take on those seven laws of leadership. They really are for everything in life, not just for your career, for your business. You know, being a true leader doesn't stop when you leave work. It's a way of being. It's a it's a role that extends to every other role in your life. You know, taking the leadership role in everything, whether it's your family, it's your health. Being a leader in your health means taking responsibility for your health rather than just being a passive patient, which is the old model. So I hope Corey inspired you with what we talked about today to really be a a bigger leader in your life. We're all leaders to some extent, but see if you can be a little bigger in the areas that are important to you. What's the next step for you? What is the next level that you can take in the leadership? If you want to connect with Corey, I'll put all the links in the blog post. Again, that's episode 211. So check out danceoflife.com slash podcast to uh, get a link to his free book as well as to connect with Corey on social media. And let's not forget good old Albert 
Einstein, we cannot solve our problems with the same level of thinking we were at when we created them. Such a classic, super important quote. You know, whatever it is you're struggling with right now, it's normal to have blind spots and to not see a clear answer. It's normal because we're, we, by default, try to solve the problem with the same kind of thinking that created it. So you have to take a step back. You got to give yourself some time. You got to find stillness. Reflect on what you can implement, you know, using those seven laws of leadership and see what new things open up. What's the new action? What is something new that you didn't see before from that space of stillness and new thinking, new ideas, thinking outside the box? Hope you enjoyed today's episode, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you have an awesome rest of your Friday. Make sure you tune in next week. I'm going to be interviewing uh, Ron Corey. He's a former Marine Vegas entrepreneur, and a cancer survivor. Such an inspiring guy. Powerful story of tenacity. He just came out with a book called Tenacity. He's a super genuine guy, a really nice guy. I'm so excited to have his story. He's been through so much, and it's just, wow, it's like super inspiring what he's been through and his message for you. So next week, we're going to be looking on Tuesday Transformation as well some tenacity, some things you can do to live your life with tenacity. Uh, And obviously leading into the episode on Friday with Ron. So if you're in a dark spot, if you're having some tough situation, wherever you happen to be, check out next week's episodes. There's a lot of good stuff there, especially Ron. You know, he's got a lot of great golden nuggets on pushing through. He's been through a lot and his message can really reach a lot of people. So thank you so much for being here. Hope to see you next week. Until then, your life is a dance, so go out there and dance it well. For more inspiration, free resources, and bonus content, stay connected at danceoflife.com.